DiscerningHearts.com presents a very special in conversation with Father Joseph Fezio, discussing the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. Father Fezio is the founder and editor of Ignatius Press, whose doctorate was directed by Professor Joseph Ratzinger, the University of Regensburg. We now begin our conversation with Father Joseph Fezio. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Fezio, thank you so much for joining me. Sure, Chris. Happy to do it. Can I uh, say thank you? I'll be very bold and say thank you on behalf of so many people, especially in the English-speaking world, to you and Ignatius Press for bringing us the teachings, the the life, the legacy of uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. If it weren't for you in so many ways, we wouldn't have uh, quite the depth of understanding that we do. So well, thank Chris, you. I'm, I'm sure if, if we hadn't done it, someone else would eventually have done it. However, uh, I owe a great deal of thanks to him because if it weren't for him, we wouldn't have started Ignatius Press. We wouldn't have published his books and many other books that kind of complement his writing. So it's a great blessing for me to have, to have known him, to have had him as a teacher, to work with him over the years, and to be the publisher of most of his works in English. Mm. This is a day we knew was coming. It comes for all of us, but in in particular, though, we knew this day, the day of his death, that this was coming. Well, yes. I mean, he, he's 95 years old. Uh, he's lived a long and fruitful life. You know, when we were kids on a trip or a vacation, we always asked our parents, how long before we get there? How soon are we going to get there? Well, you know, where he is now is a much better place than where he was yesterday. And I, I, I had an intuition that it was going to happen someday like this. I'll tell you why. Uh, he's a man who loves symbols. Uh, whenever he writes books, he'll always talk about symbolic meanings. For example, uh, when he spoke to the Cardinals, he talks about the red of their cassocks means they have to be there, willing to give their blood like the martyrs. Uh, in his great book, Spirit of Liturgy, he talks about the importance of facing east, the rising sun, both because it represents the resurrection as a symbol and also it's cosmic. And the mass is both historical and cosmic. But in any event, this reading began with, with his birth. He was born on Holy Saturday, the vigil of Easter Sunday, 1927. Born at 4.30 in the morning. In those days, they had the Vigil Mass early. So he was baptized four hours later at 8.30 at the Vigil Mass. He was born between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, okay? Mm-hmm. When did he die? He died on the Vigil of the Solemnity of the Mary, the Mother of God. And, you know, he was probably responsible for some of the good changes that were made after the Council uh, to the Mass, one of which was uh, adding the, the Psalms after the first reading, which always kind of gave us the divinely inspired response to the divine word we've just heard. And today's responsorial psalm is, let the heavens rejoice and earth be glad. And I think heaven's rejoicing. And we're glad too, because he's finished the course. You know, he's fought the good fight. He's kept the faith, as Paul says. And, you know, uh, as he taught us uh, from the fathers, all liturgy here is a reflection of the heavenly liturgy. We're taking part in something that's taking place in heaven. And so God called him just in time 
to be there for the feast of our Holy Mother Mary, Mother of God. So I think it's a beautiful ending to his life. It's a perfect bookend, as it were, to his birth. Born on the vigil of Easter, died on the vigil of Mary's big feast. Wow. So many of his, his writings is so, so steeped. I, is, is there anything that isn't steeped in scripture or should I even say steeped in the word, the capital W? I mean, that's, that's right. Whenever almost every art he wrote or every book he wrote, uh, he'll begin with scripture, always with scripture, you know, mm-hmm. and he has a, he has a, a, a beautiful insight into scripture. Uh, in fact, before he was Pope, you know, I used to be in his class and we'd have seminars and we'd have meetings with him on the weekends and we'd have mass together. And I can say this, I never heard him speak when I did learn something new. Of course, I was a tabula rasa. I had a lot to learn. But the point is, he was so full of, of insight, spirit, deeply spiritual insight. Now, of course, after he became Pope and he had to speak all the time, uh, we got some repetition. Prior to that, it was always something new and refreshing and delightful. Well, I am grateful to Ignatius Press because there have been moments recently where people are asking me once again, what should I read? What should I read of Ratzinger that will help me? And actually, if I said it, if they've never read him before, I encourage them first to start with the audiences. Because he's those those audiences that you've published, whether it's about the holy men and holy women, or the apostles, or the the doctors of the church, uh, that whole thing, even the school of prayer, he has a way of talking right to where you're at, and to, to break things open so beautifully. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, as a theologian and teacher, he was very clear, and. I think most people with, with intelligence, with, with effort, can penetrate what he's saying and can appreciate what he's saying. But uh, as Pope, he, he used all that background in philosophy, theology, art, literature, history, and music, and so on. And he brought it down to a level where not only could everybody understand, but we actually made a children's book, a book for children out of selection from some of his, those talks he gave on Wednesday on the saints and so on, because it was so beautiful, so simple, so deep, but uh, again, so accessible. Yes, I, I began there. Uh, you know, people often ask, well, what's his legacy? What's his legacy going to be? Well, so he already has a legacy because he's been around for so long, but, you know, verba volunt scripta manin. Words fly away, like this interview is going to be lost to history. But script them on it, things which are written down, uh, printed, you know, they, they last a long, long time. And I think his life was marked by three major works. At the beginning, uh, he published his lectures at Tubingen uh, on the introduction to Christianity. It's a wonderful book, powerful book. It still has insights which people need to hear and read. At the end of his life, he published, of course, the trilogy on Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, and that was a great work, which both exegetically and then pastorally, I think will be a milestone in the history of the church. And then right in the middle between those two works was what I consider his masterwork, uh, the spirit of the liturgy, because mm-hmm. he was he loved the liturgy. In fact, 
I'll tell you a little story. In 2005, in April, before just before the conclave began, I got a call from uh, Carl Schoenborn. He and I were students together of Professor Rasser in, in Regensburg in 1972. And uh, he asked me, he said, what, you know, I have to vote now for the next Holy Father. From your position there in America, what do you think the church needs? And I told him, I says, Christoph, I said, uh, in every pope has so much to do that you have to deal with foreign countries, with other with religious orders, with the priesthood, with vocations, with the faith, uh, all these things. But you know, the most important element of the church is the sacrifice of the mass. Uh, we, we, I would love to have a pope that was really steeped in liturgy. And he says, oh, you mean our cardinal? <laughs> I said, yes, Christoph, our cardinal. <laughs> mm. And sure enough, a couple of days later, those are rationally being invented in the 16th. Yeah. I, in spirit of the liturgy, I, I'm going to keep thanking you throughout this conversation, I think, because that the publication of that book and my experience of it, uh, it was at a Borders bookstore in Florida. And I came across the book and I started reading it and it was uh, something that just, it, it was filled with such aha moments. Like I, I knew that, but I didn't know I knew that. And it it allowed me to go back into my faith, into the church and to experience things and, and to let go of a lot of the stuff on the surface that was causing all kinds of, you know, surface waves. Does that make sense? It, it allowed does me make to get sense. to where, where it needed to be right there in the heart of it. And ever since then, it's been the best of anchors. Also, you know, he wrote a great deal, but very few actual books. The book you mentioned is actually a collection of the first book of the of his homilies or his his talks, his full, that's a collection of talks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Introduction to Liturgy is a collection of his uh, his lectures. Uh, he gave long interviews like Victor Masor- Victoria Missori on uh, the Rational Report and to Peter Zewald. He had collections of his essays, collections mm-hmm. of his homilies, collections of talks he'd given, but very rarely did he sit down and write a book. Why? Because he was soon, as a young priest, made an archbishop and of a diocese, Munich Freising, which has, I think, several hundred parishes and several thousand employees, several thousand employees, wow. all right, in the diocese. Mm-hmm. Then he became, in the Roman Curia, a congregation of the doctrine of faith, and then became pope. So he didn't have the leisure, the time to do what he really wanted to do, was to write books and teach. However, the the one book, at, well, Jesus and others, he did sit down and write that. Mm-hmm. But the one book, which is really done as a book, was Spirit of Liturgy. Because I remember seeing him in Rome in early 1990s and asked him, we, we had a meeting every year, we had a meeting uh, for this group that we worked together on. And uh, I asked him, uh, you know, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm starting a book. I said, what on? He said, on the liturgy. I said, oh, that would be great, you know. And every year after after that, you know, 1993, 1995, I'd say, how's it coming? He said, well, it's coming slowly because, you know, I don't have that much time. But that was his Lieblingswerk, you know, the, his, a work of love that he did. Uh, 
I don't want to forget something, Chris. I want, I want to tell you a little anecdote, which uh, exemplifies what you just said about the aha moments in, in reading this book in liturgy. Uh, when it was either when we were students at Ratzinger or in what they called the Schuler Christ, the, the, the circle of students, of which Father Toomey is also a member, we'd meet with him once a year at a monastery. But he gave a homily once. And I know that Father Schoenborn, later Cardinal Schoenborn, was there as I was. And it was on the 11th hour, you know, about the uh, people coming 11th hour and getting paid the same as those who worked the whole the whole day. And those who worked the whole day said, what about it? You know, you're going to pay them as much as we do? And Jesus, are, are you angry because I'm generous? Uh, but what, what Ratzinger said then, we said, we who've been working in the church, we are cradle Catholics, been working in the church, part of the church from our, from our birth, we should rejoice that we've been all day in the vineyard with the Lord. Where else would we want to be? So we shouldn't be upset because people come later have the same reward because they haven't had the opportunity we've had to be with the Lord all this time. Okay, so that really struck me. Well, many years later, more than 10 years later, 15 years later, it happened that uh, I was celebrating a mass at Judge Bill Clark's chapel down in uh, near San Luis Obispo, and mm -hmm. Carl Schumba was there, and uh, he was a celebrant. And that day was the same text, you know? <laughs> and so I'm thinking, oh, I remember what Rasher said, and he gave the homily. He said, years ago, Carl Rasher, you know, Professor Rasher gave a homily on this text. Here's what he said. So it struck him so much, too, that 10, 20 years later, that's the homily he gave. It was a beautiful moment in my life to, to see that connection, that, uh, that what he said struck so deeply in my own heart and the heart of Father Schoenborn. Yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful that you brought that up because, again, there are those moments, like when uh, his, his writings in Jesus of Nazareth, for example, when uh, there is a section where it was probably the most... It, I, I don't mean to um, overuse the term, but the aha moment that has always stuck with me was when he was writing about the baptism in the Jordan. I, he, Father, I'll admit it, I never really understood why Jesus needed to be bapt, baptized. Yeah. I thought, what, what's the point? I've heard theologians try to explain it in college and, and all these different areas. But when he wrote about it in Jesus of Nazareth and made that great connection, it's just, okay, now I get it. All right. I, 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 you don't ever question it again. It was just so beautiful how he wrote. Yes. And uh, those aha moments, some I think are unique to him. That is, he is the one that kind of had the insight. But many of them are from the fathers of the church. And I've had this experience as I was studying theology. I would be thinking about something. I get some idea. And I think, oh, well, that, that's really brilliant, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I read Augustine, and there it was, you know. Or read the Great, and there it was. And I, I, rarely have I had any inspiration that I thought was mine that I didn't find later on to come from the fathers of the church. And, of course, he was steeped in the fathers. He was part of the whole particular revival in the 20th century. So what you got in that book was the fruit of all the aha moments he had by mm -hmm. – going deeply into this church. And you know something, Chris, we don't have time to read all the files of the church, right? Right. Uh, but uh, he did. And we are kind of reaping the fruits of his labor 
and his brilliance. By the way, speaking of Father of the Church, uh, I believe that the Church lasts that long enough. He will be a Father of the Church, not just a saint. I, Chris, I don't think that every modern Pope should be canonized mm -hmm. uh, just because he's Pope. Uh, I'm sure we, we've had some saintly popes, especially in the 20th century. But everybody I know that's worked with him, spent time with him, says the same thing. He's a holy man. He's a humble man. He's a saint. And so uh, I believe he'll be canonized. But also, he is the last of a triumvirate of three great theologians of the, that marked the 20th century. Henri de Lubac was born in 1896. Hans von Balthasar born in 1905, and Joseph Ratzinger, born in 1927. Those three theologians are like a constellation of bright, shining stars in the firmament of the church of the 20th century. And I believe their work, all three of them, their work will be a, a light for the glory of the Lord for centuries to come, for as long as the church lasts. Oh, Father, I... That, uh, I, I wish that people could understand just what their understanding of that going back to those early church fathers of that resourcement type of understanding and study and uh, and then helping to break open for our age i mean that that's an incredible thing that we have isn't it yes and you make me think of this too uh chris that uh I don't really follow the major media, but I've been told that today a lot of these reports have come out in interviews and they're, they're dredging up all the old criticism of the Rockweiler, you know, God's Rockweiler, this, this, this severe man uh, who's uh, no sense of humor, uh, very harsh and so on. Totally false. Couldn't be farther from the truth. I mean, he, he was a listener. He paid attention. He remembered you and, and things you'd said. Uh, he was a very gentle, gracious person. Uh, he loved art. He loved music. He loved literature. Uh, he was just just warm, friendly, with a sense of humor, uh, a good person, a good man. So all this stuff about the, the harsh enforcer of discipline, you know, no, no, no. He, he did what he was asked to. He did not want to be a bishop, did not want to be a cardinal, did not want to be in charge of the congregation of the faith. Did not, want to, did not want to be pope. He accepted it. He accepted it. And he did the job as I think he felt he was asked to do. And he did it. That's what he did. Well, and also in a lot of that secular reports, one of the first things that you hear is about his uh, resigning, as it were, as uh, pope. But the thing is, I think, Father Fezio, I think people are missing the point when I think it was one of the greatest acts of discernment that I think it is a heroic discernment because if it's it discerning is to ultimately to do the father's will, it, this is a man who did theology on his knees, his prayer, he was steeped in it in obedience to the father's will is that deep listening. And I cannot believe that, you know, that this was a mistake on his part or a way for him to get out of something, um, it could have been much easier for him just to stay where he was than to, to step down as he did. I think yes. it was a heroic thing to do. And I've been asked about this a lot, uh, Chris, and I tell people that after he became Pope, but you know, before he resigned, 
he gave a long interview with Peter Zavol, which was mm -hmm. published. Uh, it's either Salt of the Earth or uh, God of the World, one of those two books. Uh, but in his interviews, he didn't prepare. He would he would answer questions, and they were druckfähig. They're ready to print. I mean, uh, he always spoke so carefully and so clearly. But Peter Zavol was a good interviewer, and he asked him the question, well, uh, Holy Father, could a pope ever resign? And immediately, Pope Benedict responded, not only could a pope resign, but if a pope ever came to the conclusion that his physical, emotional, spiritual, psychic forces were not adequate to the task, he not only could resign, he must resign. And as soon as I read that, I said, you know, unless he dies suddenly, he will resign. Because he lived to be 95 years old, so he had pretty good health, but he wasn't robust. You know, he was, uh, he didn't exercise a lot. He wasn't like John Paul II. Uh, and so I agree with you. It was an act of humility. Uh, it was a beautiful witness to the church. And it's also a proof that he was not clean to power. He, he, he was not Pope because he wanted to be in charge, wanted to have power. He was Pope because he was elected. He was called upon by the Holy Spirit through the Fathers, Council of Fathers, the uh, Conclave Fathers to become Pope. And so he did it reluctantly. In, in fact, you know, one of his, on his, he's a man of images and of symbols, as I said earlier. He has this, uh, on his coat of arms, this is bear uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, I forget the exact story, but it, it's, uh, he was, Benedict felt he was carried to Rome uh, not because he wanted to go there, because the Lord wanted him there, but it wasn't his choice. He he wanted to live a quiet life, teach his courses, write books, you know, give interviews and so on. That was what he thought he was called to do. Uh, so he made a sacrifice to do these things. And again, as I say, his resignation is the proof that he was not ambitious. That's right. That's that he right. was obedient, as you say, obedient to the word of God. What was it like for you visiting with him uh, in the last the last few times that you've had a chance to talk with him? Well, I haven't I haven't spoken to him the last couple of years because you know he, he is kind of he was he was feeble and I didn't want, it's also a long ways away to go to Rome and I wasn't in Rome for other things. Uh, but uh, I I think the last time I saw him uh, certainly was after his retirement, uh, but he was always. The same, always gentle. His, his mind never failed. I mean, it was always clear. The humor never failed. He had a he had a very quick witted uh, mind and a sense of the irony of things. Would always find the humor in things, and I, I, I saw that sparkle was always there. And then I think one of his last writings with Carlos Seurat uh, from the depth of our heart uh, on precious celibacy. What a beautiful book that is uh, to, to write in his old age. And I recall in that book, uh, he writes, he still remembers the day of his ordination, that Psalm 16 uh, was, was part of the, the uh, liturgy then. Uh, the Lord is my portion and my lot, you know, and he, he's my everything now. Uh, so, yeah, he was, uh, I didn't notice any change in him as he got older except that he got older, but he was still the same, you know, 
vital, lively, you know, intellect and, and humor. Well, Father Fezio, if you could go back, because now is the time. Now is the time to bring out the back catalog. It's time to bring back the books that uh, everything that has been so faithfully published by Ignatius Press. Those, those maybe one or two books that you would like people to be aware of by Pope Benedict, besides Introduction to Christianity and Spirit of the Liturgy, what are those like the, the hidden gems? Well, we we have kept all of his books in print, even mm-hmm. the ones that, you know, the sales have kind of gone down. Um, and we, we, we have prepared, we knew he was going to be called to the Lord. And so with Magnificat, we prepared a book that actually goes through his entire life and all his works. And so that's what I'd recommend to start with right now. Because it, it it has uh, important citations from all these works, as well as historical background and biographical information, and a lot of photos. So uh, look for that at our website, Ignatius.com, or maybe your website, too. Uh, oh, we'll have it on there, for yeah. sure. There's so many. I mean, he's written about the Blessed Virgin. He's written about just the whole spans of creation and yes uh, our our existence in it and god's movement in it it is just it's it it's it takes your breath away it's like the bigness of god i mean he's he got it as close as anybody in in describing just in in our well, way the bigness of and god the, the, there's there are gems there's nothing he's written which is not worth reading and there are mm-hmm. gems everywhere but uh for years I've been saying that uh, I think the question of evolution and creation has not been addressed properly. And I couldn't find anywhere where, where the idea of time and uh, creation was, was, was really properly expressed. And I even began writing myself, you know, an outline of a little book I might do myself on it. Well, then the other day I was, uh, for some reason, I went to this book called Dogma and Preaching. You know, it's a collection of, of, again, his talks and so on. Mm-hmm. The chapter on creation evolution. It's only 15 pages long. And I read it. I said, okay, I don't, I don't have to do anything now. He said it all there. It, it's all there, you know. We got to you know, pull that one out. We got to yeah. pull it out. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Father Fezio, I am so grateful. And so, like I said at the very beginning, I'm so grateful to you and to Ignatius Press. I has, you have it in, um, You've made my journey on this earth uh, a closer walk with Christ for everything that you've done and um, for all the people out there. And now we once again, we get to uh, celebrate yes. Joseph Ratzinger. Well, thank and you, Saint Chris. And thank you, too, for, for a multiple, a multiple effect, you know, because you, you've helped so many people to, to, to be introduced to Ratzinger and others, you know. And we're all in it together. Yeah, we sure are. Praise, praise God. How about a blessing for everybody on this this time? Sure. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing and all those who make this broadcast possible and all those who are listening to it and watching it. Uh, help strengthen them in their faith that they too may become lights to the world as Pope Benedict was. Benedictio de Anapotentis Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti, Descendus Supervos, et Manet Semper. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris. God bless Father you. Father Fezio, thank you so much.
You've been listening to a special edition of In Conversation with Father Joseph Fezio, discussing the life and legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. You can also watch the video of our conversation on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com.